0: Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Generational Archives. Again, you are joining us for the show where we connect, heal, uncover through intergenerational conversations and archival research. I'm Dr. Reina J. Leon, and I'm so happy that you are joining us again. I hope that you have been following us along the way. I'm here with my mother. We're part of a mother-daughter duo. Um, Dr. Norma D. Thomas, how are you going to introduce yourself today, mommy?
1: I'm just happy to be here today and happy to focus on our topic today. I love that you're always happy to be here. (laughs) I hope that you are never unhappy to be
0: here, (laughs) that we never have that instance. So that's great. I am also happy to be here. So today we are going to be talking about my grandmother, my father's mother, um, Juanita Leon, Juanita Adorno, Juanita Garcia, names change, um, so we'll get into that in just a moment, but before we begin, let's start, or, or before we talk, talk about my Juanita, which is how we both knew her, um, our check-in question, and that check-in question is this, who taught you to pray, and what was that first prayer, mommy?
1: Well, at first, I couldn't think of what the first prayer was. I know who taught us how to pray, and that was my mother. It brought back memories that when we were little kids, we had to kneel at our bedside every night before we went to sleep. So the prayer was, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then I said to Raina, there's another verse, which is now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Please, angels, watch me through the night and keep me safe till morning light.
0: So for me, the person who taught me to pray that I recall and the first prayer was exactly this prayer, especially that first portion of now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And I remember it being you. I remember, I don't know what was happening at the time, but I was going to go to sleep in your bed. This was at our old house at um, in Philadelphia, in Southwest Philadelphia, and um, kneeling by the bed and you teaching me this prayer. And every line you would have me repeat the line and then going to sleep and i want to say that perhaps i was having nightmares or something like that but whatever it was i remember that moment specifically of sleeping in your bed and um and being taught this prayer so i i love that this prayer is generational too this teaching of a mother to daughter and mother to daughter again and it's the same prayer it's even the same act of kneeling by the bed and praying um And I want to say that I kept that practice myself of kneeling by the bed to pray for a long time as a child and um, just independently. And I don't know when that stopped for myself, but um, you had said that that was a a daily practice for you as a child, too.
1: Yeah, we did that for a while. I don't know when it stopped because obviously when we got older, we did not do that anymore. But I know all of us would be kneeling by that bedside And praying, and it reminds me of something maybe for a future episode, Raina, we should do the lullaby that my mother used to sing, and she sang to my niece, and I sang to you, and and sometimes I've sung it when your kids were little. So we'll add that to one of our future episodes as well.
0: Yeah, thinking about those generational passages of of lullabies, of prayers, of recipes, all of that is important and to document it with you all, but to foster the conversation of what has been passed down to you um, is, is something to um, be remembered. So let's transition into talking about Mañanita. So Mommy, how would you describe Mañanita, which was how we knew my uh, father's mother?
1: Well, I would describe her as being very family-oriented. I would describe her as being very, very, very religious. You could put a lot of varies on that one. And <laughs> I would describe her as being fierce because she was definitely a fierce lady. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. No no messing with my Juanita. She was like 4'10 and a force of nature. Um, I... When thinking about this piece around faith and prayer, that that check-in question came from how how faithful she was, how devoted to um, spirituality and, and religious practice she was. Um, she would in the best days of her life and um, her most her healthiest days. She would go to church pretty much every day, um, and and i did this interview with her in 2003 and she was talking about how she did have that practice of of walking to church every day everyone in the in the neighborhood knew her uh, they looked out for her and they knew where she was going she was going to church
1: when you all were very little and she took care of you i would have to come from southwest philly and i would she would already be at saint edmunds so i would drop you off at saint edmunds Kind of, and she never sat in the back, mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was always in the front, so I had to take these two kids with the stroller up to the front of the church, drop you off, and then go to work
0: well, and that piece of um she was a definitely a dedicated member of the church and involved us in going to church, so um you know, we would go to church with her. I remember very clearly us going. Going to St. John Newman once she moved to North Philly, and being fascinated by the practice of receiving communion, and being so upset that my older cousin um, uh, Juanita, also named Juanita, um, called Mita in our family was able to take community and and my brother and I were not because we looked at it as if it was they were potato chips (laughs) and we were like, We want the potato chips too. And my Juanita was like, nah, that's that's not what that is. (laughs) Not gonna explain. A little bit too complicated for
1: these little ones. But um And before I forget, when when I married your dad, we I was still a member of a Baptist church. I was a member of Bright Hope Baptist Church in the city, and neither of us thought much about getting married in the church. And if my mother was upset about anything, and if you could see our wedding pictures, her 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 expression was not one of joy that <laughs> we were married at the justice of the peace, but I applaud her that she came, yes, but she was again this force of nature so when when you were born, she really wanted to get you baptized and convinced me that I needed to at least go through the the uh, classes at the church so that you could be baptized on Easter Sunday. And in the process, I became a member of this class and both of us were baptized on Easter Sunday at St. Edmund's and she was ecstatic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was definitely a faith warrior and committed to making sure that all of her people were um, baptized within the Catholic Church. And so many, many years later, after my grandmother had uh, transitioned, um, we, my husband and I got married in her um, uh, church, the church that she had belonged to when she um, transitioned, and I definitely was very committed to that because I knew how much it meant to me, but also how much it would have meant to her to have been present for that wedding. And my husband was like, yo, we got married yesterday. Like, we we did the whole um, civil marriage. We had a a big wedding reception. We had a great party. But I was very, very um, uh, committed to us getting married um, in the Catholic Church um, the following day. Well, we
1: also... Me and your dad were yes. married in the Catholic That's Church right. in, I want to say, 1990. So right. we did the whole godparents and got yes. married in, in the church.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and even, it, all of this is really fascinating when thinking about my grandmother because we learned later after interviewing my Titi Vilma that she herself did not get married in the Catholic Church until much later in her partnership with my grandfather, Danning. Um in the fifties and fifty no in in the sixties, right because you in the
1: seventies in, in the
0: seventies that's right
1: it would have been if if the interview with your aunt is correct, that's right, it seems to coincide when I first met her, which would have been in nineteen seventy four mm-hmm. I was in Philadelphia, I had started graduate school, I met your father on a street corner in you know the Logan part of the city. And I was at the house down on Snyder Avenue, and I was upstairs. And all I remember is somebody saying, oh, my mother's here, you have to go downstairs. And this blonde woman walks in and looks at me in total, I, I don't even know what the expression was that I was coming down her stairs. But based on the story of my sister-in-law, they were returning from, quote, unquote, their honeymoon, having gotten married at uh, Mil- Milagrosa, I, if I remember right. That's so. right. That's
0: right. <laughs> and and you saying, oh, my goodness, I remember um, she was this bleach blonde, um, perceived as white woman, um, coming into or you meeting Poppy's m- mother, m- our, my grandmother, for the first time. Like, oh, what was this? And interviewing titi velma the other day was oh why had she had this blonde where did she hair? come from where and was where coming did she from? come from
1: <laughs> and, and velma talked about her having this blonde hair and i said that's when i met mommy Juanita
0: yeah uh this is the process of like piecing together lives is so fascinating and I think about, I went back to a recording that I did of, with my Winita. So I happen to always be very interested in her story. So in 2003, I was in graduate school and did this interview as part of a project um, for Teachers College. Uh, it was around oral histories and interviewed my grandmother for about uh, 35, 40 minutes. And I had this recording on a cassette. Anybody who knows about recordings now knows that that technology is defunct. You cannot find a micro recorder for less than $250 now. So for years, I played like a little bit of it just to make sure that the recording hadn't deteriorated over time. And also just to hear my grandmother's voice. Um, But the other day, I was like, "Okay, we're doing this podcast. Let me go back to that recording and see if I can harvest it. As I did with um, Grandmom's recording, using a cassette and transferring it to a, um, MP3. So I go to the micro cassette recorder, and y'all, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've changed the batteries. I've checked the batteries. It's not working, and I don't have the um, connector, the plug for this micro cassette. So I'm looking for replacements. They're over $250. It's a lot of money. So I order for less than twenty a new um plug to go into the micro cassette and I pray <laughs> that this thing is going to work that it's just a battery compartment and it is luckily so I find the right um, connector plug it in and there is my grandmother's voice there is mine it's really a hushed so I have to do all sorts of manipulations with sound to make sure that I can get a good enough sound to record it but I do record it and I sent it to a, um, a transcript provider that can do transcripts in Spanish um, and because it's much faster than me and pay the money. <laughs> I used GoTranscript for anybody who's interested in um, transcripts in different languages and did that, got the transcript within like two days. And so now I have not only the audio, and I used AudioMaster um, for those of you who are interested in the technology. I played the recording, recorded it with Audacity, made it a little bit louder with uh, AudioMaster, transferred that th- to Go Transcript to get the transcription. And now I have the written transcription as well as my grandmother's voice. And so I'll be pulling a little bit of that, um, her voice to share with you all in this podcast at the end.
1: And one of the things I want to add is if I'm remembering this correctly is that one of the reasons that you really wanted to become fluent in Spanish right. was so that you could do interviewing and find out your grandmother's story right. because my mother-in-law did not communicate very well in English. She knew English, she used to try to talk to me in English all the time. And I would say Juanita, (laughs) talk to me in Spanish. Because some of the I, I often could understand her better in Spanish than I could in English. And that's amazing that she could be in this country for such a long time negotiate what she needed to negotiate, but primarily have to do it in Spanish.
0: So let's get to the facts of it. Um, So according to her obituary, which I wrote and got approved by my aunts and uncles, um, she was born in um, in February 8th, 1928. So her parents were Candido and Angela, also called Angelina, which is important because one of my cousins is named Angelina. And I had always thought that her mother was only known as Angelina. and, And in one of the interviews, she's like, no, her name was Angela." Um, but everybody called her Angelina, and so she had many, many um, children—eight um, children ultimately, two that um, she raised and six biological. Um, Twenty-one grandchildren that were listed within the obituary, and then well over thirty great-grandchildren at the time of her death. Super interesting that in an interview that I in that interview that I did in 2003, I went back to the transcript, and she actually said that she was born in 1924. But when I look at her birth certificate from Puerto Rico, which I was able to find on Ancestry.com, also on Family Search, um, it lists her birth date as the same day, but in 1923. So, super interesting that this interview that I did in 20, um, 2003, when she was 80, as I knew it, she herself identifies as being 79. So, super interesting. Another piece that's interesting to me around the dates and, and information is that she says that she first came to um, to New York from Puerto Rico on the Marine Tiger, as many people from Puerto Rico did um, take that boat ride to New York in 1946, and, um, and that um, it's in a ship manifesto. She's actually listed as taking that ship um, later. What's fascinating to me is that when she recounts the Marine Tiger or what what happened is that she came she went back to Puerto Rico and then she came back again. And when she comes back, as she's in her interview, she's in her 80s in the, in this interview, she remembers the month and almost the exact day of um being on that ship. It's fascinating to me at 8 years old how insightful and and attentive to detail she was she remembers september 23rd as um, arriving in new york and the ship manifesto says september 5th um, amazing to me for you know over 40 years over 50 years after the fact and she still remembers the, the month that she came with um, her one-year-old daughter, my aunt.
1: Could the fifth be when she got on the ship?
0: Could be when she got on the I ship. I hope it
1: didn't take that long to get know, to New York, but you, days, but you but, never know.
0: Exactly. Could, could have been that long, but that she remembers arriving on, on September 23rd and um, and then the ship manifesto that I've been able to find online, which you can find on Ancestry.com for those of you who are thinking about migration records Oftentimes you can find ship manifestos as well as um, airplane passenger lists, um, not recent ones. But I think up until the 1960s or 70s, a lot of the passenger airplane um, lists are actually available on Ancestry.com too. So I, I also really celebrate that she, in the interview in 2003, recounted some of her old addresses, which is so important because if you know someone's address, you can find their listing in the census if they are listed there. So for those of you who are thinking about doing interviews with your people and trying to figure out their movements, um, finding out addresses that they remember from your, your aunts and uncles, your peoples, can help you to locate other information about them. So let's get into um, some other interesting features about my grandmother from the records. So, birth certificate. I had never seen her birth certificate until I want to say what what was it, mommy? I mentioned it maybe a year ago a or few, something. Yeah, yeah, year two two years ago. Um, I think more recently, within the year. And and Bobby had never seen it either. So I found it on Ancestry, and it notes her her name. I had only ever known her as Mami Juanita. So but of course her actual name was Juana. Juana. <laughs> like I just never made that association because there were so many Juans in the in the family. Um and even one well, of Well it's
1: always the Ita. Yeah. Ita gets added as the term of endearment, like right. your Rainita. So right.
0: um but I just always had made that association. So Juana is actually her, her name on her birth certificate, but it was Garcia. Where did that come from? Because I had always known that her father was an Adorno. Um, Well, according to her birth certificate, she carried the name of her mother. Um, It was common, and this was validated by my um, my titi Vilma, to to cohabitate and perhaps not be married in the church or married officially. So after many, many years and many children and being together, um, her father ultimately... um, Recognizes her officially on her birth certificate, um, and that was in the fascinating to me too is that the registrar notes when that actually happened on the twenty fourth of April in nineteen fifty seven. She is recognized officially by her father, and I I I wonder why um, what happened in nineteen fifty seven that made it necessary for that recognition to happen, but in the birth certificate. Her new last name is literally written along the side of her of her name. Um, the His parents aren't noted there. That's one of the m- amazing things about um, Spanish records, at least in Puerto Rico, and I think in many other Spanish-speaking countries, is that oftentimes a birth certificate or a baptismal certificate will list not only the parents, their race, fascinating here, she's listed as mestiza, um, it will also list the grandparents and if the grandparents are known on the mother's side as well as the father's side it'll list them if sometimes if um there's a section on the ones in, in Puerto Rico at least for additional information so sometimes if there are older siblings then they might also be listed um or if a father if a parent has has died um they'll be listed that'll be noted there or if um you know, the mother is a widow, that'll be listed so much information on the on a birth certificate um, in Puerto Rico versus what you might find in the states, which will often just list, you know, when they were born, where they were born and the parents. And that's kind of it sometimes race, but not anything um, besides that.
1: And your dad says that this will not be the case with her birth certificate. But if you're searching for birth records, in Puerto Rico, sometimes they don't match the date of the actual birth because right. they took a while to record births because so many babies died so young. That's
0: right. That's right. There was a cholera epidemic at, at one point, And Bobby was saying that they kind of waited to make sure that that child would live um, to register the birth in some cases. And so that there is a disappearance of perhaps of, of babies who did not live very long. Um, as well as those who lived, then the recognition of their birth would have just taken longer within the within the registry but for me it 's really interesting that her her birth date her birth day is consistent no matter the source when she 's talking about her birthday, when the um, birth certificate is Um, what's interesting to me is that she she shaved off a year (laughs) in her own interview with me my mother
1: did that too (laughs) right so
0: So i don't know what's up with that They, they shaved off a year i don't know i don't know um but her birth certificate is super interesting too because it this piece around race so in puerto rico um depending on the year Race can be listed as blanco, de color, mulato, um, negro. Um, Mestiza is a very particular uh, uh, notation, which generally indicates um, uh, well, it's it's supposed to indicate a connection with an indigenous heritage. Um, Indigeneity as well as um, being uh, white and a mix of cultures. Um, Sometimes that term is actually used as a way of erasing blackness and so saying indigenous but actually meaning that someone in the family was of african descent um so it's it's a toss-up as to what it actually means what was interesting to me and look finding this in her birth certificate was that i looked at a cousin from her mother's side and she also had mestiza listed within her birth certificate it's not consistent across all the different um um folks in her family so I'm not sure about that but our family does um through DNA alone have an indigenous um heritage specifically located within the Caribbean within um Puerto Rico um, in particular and so I think that that line may have come through her mother's side I haven't figured it out yet but this is a question that I'm holding um and another thing that she also noted was that Down the line, some of her people came from the Canary Islands, and I haven't found all of that history yet, but I'm pretty sure that it came from her mother's side as well, that there is a, a point in the 1800s where I can't go any further, and I think that that might be because those records before 1898 were actually held within the within Spanish records, and I haven't figured out how to search them um, as yet. Although they are available online, so for those of you who are exploring records before 1898, and your your country of or, or your um, community of origin had a colonial relationship with with Spain, then a lot of Spain's records actually online too and searchable if you. Know where to look, and I'm still figuring out those search terms. But
1: and I don't know why I remember the descriptor of the folks from Spain as being Spanish aristocracy.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I, I don't remember that. So well,
1: I remember that. Don't ask me. It's you know when you when you're doing these podcasts, all these memories come yes. up, and I remember that descriptor for the folks from Spain.
0: That's fantastic. I. I don't remember that part of the story, and I, I love that, and that'll lend itself to looking up some other things. Um, so some other features about my grandmother, which are fascinating, is that um, I was, we were doing this interview with my Titi Vilma, and one of the questions that I asked was, how did my grandparents meet? And she was saying that they are related. They're like second cousins um, through the Adorno's. Um, Trujillo Alto was very very small it still is very small in Puerto Rico and like lots of people it's a small community so anyway um, how did they meet well Titi Vilma was saying well um, Daddy Ning's grandmother was possibly the sister of Maguanita's grandfather and that grandmother was kind of on the outs and when he was visiting his grandmother um, he happened to See my Juanita, and in the story, she's um, cleaning clothes in the river, and he falls in love by looking at her in the river. (laughs) In her story, because I asked her this in 2003, and so it's so important to find this, she says that they they had an incredibly beautiful love, and it began by meeting at a Saints' Day celebration um so i'm I'm curious about how the the stories changed from person to person, but uh there was definitely some meaning <laughs> um and and a pretty instantaneous love um What do you remember about from Titi Vilma about how um their relationship i think that's might be fruitful
1: well i i I guess I would just say that my my mother-in-law was this incredible person who who had to bear a lot of stuff on her own yes. because my my father-in-law was the merchant seaman and so she came to the states with with and eventually had all these children But for much of her existence, he wasn't here.
0: Yeah, six months away. And again,
1: she had to negotiate this on her own by herself with probably her children interpreting. There were family in New York and family in Philadelphia. But my impression is that they were not always very helpful. Yeah. And so she had to negotiate welfare systems there was some story about her going to the welfare office needing assistance and them not giving it to her and she said okay well then you take care of all these kids and walked out <laughs> and walked out and so my again my mother-in-law was amazing that she could be able to do this all the time keeping her religion and her faith and making sure everybody was connected her her children went to Catholic schools I'm not sure how she negotiated that right. because that's an expense uh, I know my husband went to Roman in, in, in Philadelphia so so she was just an amazing person and they stayed together all those years through very difficult situations she yeah. won she helped raise two children that were 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 his children by someone else and so she not only raised her six but she raised during periods of time eight
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and and as my husband said all of us graduated from high school and nobody ever went to jail
0: yeah <laughs> significant well and and she made strong choices so there was a story of one of my uncle's starting to say you know i'm i i want to study this is when they lived in new york but i'm being pursued by the, the gangs, gangs here and i don't want to be in a gang and and even talking with the vilma of like and there had been a nephew who died through being caught up in in gang violence and Mayuanita making a choice at that time to uproot her family and they had strong, deep connections in, in New York. And New York is super like diverse and a lot of Spanish-speaking community and, and family and friends and everything. She uprooted the whole family and they moved to Philadelphia. My great-grandfather was here. There was family here. But part of what was informing that decision was, I don't want to lose my son and I can uh, bring my family to a space of of safety and she didn't love philadelphia she Mm. she said said it herself in in that interview from 2003 she didn't like it initially herself and and missed her community in new york wanted loved being there but it was better for the family ultimately and then after you know decades and decades it was her growing into finding her her place in an entirely new community, an entirely new city, where she herself did not have the roots that her husband, my grandfather, did. So and when you talk yeah. about
1: their relationship, she was very clear that when he died, there would just be nobody else ever in her life again. Yeah, she. She and for, wore, In fact, for a yeah. year, she wore almost a monk's robe, mm-hmm. and 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 very deliberate. She was just very clear that there would never be anybody else in her life.
0: Yeah, and and I think that that's sig- significant too. And talking with Iti Vilma and learning about um, that evening serenading her in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and. And mm-hmm. writing all these songs for her and the love that they had being, you know, so long. Yeah, because we found that
1: he could sing. I didn't know he we could sing. We didn't know that. We no, didn't I know that. I never heard that. Um,
0: <laughs> and so all these discoveries and and talking um, with family members, illuminating her even more, um, more closely. So I I appreciate the the remembrances what she also gave us. So I wanted to start with that prayer around faith because she was so faithful, and one of the gifts that um, Titi Voma gave me um, when we were at her um, novena. Um, uh, so a novena is nine days of prayers that um, happen usually at the at the home of the deceased to shepherd their soul. Um into um, the hereafter, and so the family gathers and prays together. And so, when my grandmother transitioned, we um, had a novena at her home, and in that first day that we were there, Dithyvema, um, or I think it was them, that she had told, yes, it was when she was talking about how. Um, my grandmother had, uh, when she was taking care of us would often, uh, talk about how we slept together, how we, how we napped together, me and my brother, one on one side, one on the other. And she would read to us the Bible and sing, um, you know, sacred songs. And it wasn't until she had told me that, that I remembered that so vividly. I remembered her scent. I remembered the, the evening practice of, or the afternoon practice of resting with her, and and found that in the novena, there were so many prayers and so many songs that I remembered even from that time, the melodies. I didn't remember the words per se, but the melodies that she had given us um, as children in the rhythm of her voice. And so it was this wonderful like recollection of the past and the feeling of her presence, um, even in that um, prayer for her soul's transition. So I uh, this process of... Of interviewing is, is so important and remembering and as we close today I hope that us sharing about my grandmother, Malenita, um often I called her mommy as well, um, helps you to think about your people, your grandmothers, your grandfathers, your peoples of, of lineage that perhaps you have chosen to be in that role of um, um, other mother or other father if you will and Mommy, are there any things that people should hold as they think about um, methods for discovering more?
3: Well,
1: I don't know about methods. I just wanted to add that she was very supportive of me and my family. Mm. I don't know how we could have made it if she wasn't taking care of my children for a very long period of time. She was so upset when uh, we put Raina in school. (laughs) She thought we were taking Raina away from her. And I kept saying, but Reina wants to go to school. She wants to go to school. My brother would have stayed. My brother said that he, he, he didn't, he, son, my brother, my son, (laughs) um, because he acts like my brother, but (laughs) my son did, he would have been fine to stay at mommy Juanita's house for the rest of his life. But, but. Raina wanted to go to school and she loved taking care of not only my children, but everyone else's children too. So she was grandmother, mother to a whole bunch of her grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I know when she transitioned, it was really like losing my mother all over again. So it was, I was really, really close to her and like everyone else do miss her uh, greatly.
0: And I'll offer one last thing. Going back to the interview, and and I do think, again, when you interview, do the transcription, go back to them, read them again. There was one piece where I was talking to her. This was an interview that I actually did in 2014, just a few months before she died. And I was talking about being a professor. And um, she was so proud. I, I had forgotten that moment of the interview where she was like, oh, so what are you doing now? And I said that I was a professor of teachers, that I uh, was teaching them how to be educators. And she was like, so you must know a lot um, to do that. And I was like, well, I I know a little bit. And we both were chuckling in the recording of her pride, but also me being um, affirmed in what I did know. And this extending from her own pride of, yes, my children graduated from, from all, all my children graduated from high school. And this has led to my grandchildren having an education. And I myself started from very little. Um, in the recording, she talks about having a, um, in one instance, she talks about having like a first grade education. In another, she talks about having more of an eighth grade education. So I, I don't know how, how things transitioned over time. But um, elementary school was when she, um, was a limit of what she had, uh, formal education. And yet she was a constant reader of, of the Bible and obviously, um, emphasized education within the home and that leading to a lot of us, um, dedicating, uh, all of us dedicating good effort to learning more and more and more and sharing what we did. So she was a force, um, And I offer you all those stories, y'all, and all the methods, and and I hope that it leads you to finding out more about your people and more about yourself. So if you like this podcast, this episode, as well as the podcast, um, like, subscribe. We are on all the um, places, Spotify, Audible, Google Podcasts. Um, Apple, um, podcast. We're everywhere. We're even on the YouTube. So, um, like and subscribe and share the news with others, and comment
1: and please subscribe on the podcast uh, methods where you get your podcast because we are trying to grow our subscription base and we do have a contest during April and May. So, uh, you know, let us know that you've subscribed and you might win a prize. Excellent. Um, And you can email us
0: your um, information about subscribing as well as your questions to storyjoyinc at gmail.com. That's storyjoyinc, S-T-O-R-Y-J-O-Y-I-N-C at gmail.com. And as much as we can, we will respond to questions and support you in your own journeys. Um, Perhaps um, we might be able to... Um, push you in the right direction. So, thank you all for listening and until next time. Bye-bye.
2: Es una vida buena, una vida que no me puedo quejar y estoy contenta porque tengo una familia bien buena. Yo me llevo con I vivo en Estados Unidos bien contenta de que vine aquí siempre nunca ha tenido desacuerdo con nadie ha vivido mi vida. Siempre ha sido una persona de la casa. Yo no sé lo que escoger coger un cigarrillo en mi boca, no sé lo que beber celueta, no sé lo que eh, de nada, nada, solamente yo me dediqué a ser una familia doméstica, una familia buena, como mi papá y mi madre me enseñaron a mí. Uh-huh. Y le doy gracias a Dios porque donde quiera que yo vaya, este... No tengo dificultad de caminar uh-huh. en Estados Unidos,
3: uh-huh.
2: porque a pesar de todo que soy puertorriqueña, pero me ha portado bien en Estados Unidos, uh-huh. y, y no tengo… vivo contenta, contenta, soy feliz.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Y yo creo que si todo el mundo pensara así, estuvieramos eh, cada día dando más, más progreso uh-huh. para que Estados Unidos echa hacia adelante y que vengan más gente para ayudarles y también Puerto Rico
3: uh-huh.
2: eh, vivir una vida como tenemos que vivirla, uh-huh. una vida de, de amor, de paz y llevarnos uno a los otros
3: uh-huh.
2: sin, sin tener siempre hay dificultades pero evitarla, evitarla de uno no hacerla. Uh-huh entiendes esa es la, la la lo que yo me siento, me siento así pero no es porque quiero ser mejor que nadie no quiero yo soy una persona muy humilde sencilla me conformo con lo que tengo no, no deseo nada de nadie pues yo creo que si un yo fue muchísima gente así especialmente la pobreza la pobreza se Después que tú le, le compartas con ellos, se sienten contentos, felices. Uh-huh. Y dice, ay, mira qué persona más caballera, mira qué persona más, más buena, mira qué persona me, me regaló este traje, me regaló estas zapatos, uh-huh. y, o me regaló, este, yo estaba tapando y, y esa, esa persona estaba dando una, una compra y me dio a mí un, un paquete de, de pan. Pues uno le da, se siente contenta les le da gracias a Dios. Ajá. Eso es lo que siempre yo he pensado así Y si mucha gente pensara así, pues creo que echara más para adelante, ¿no? Para adelante. Y, y hoy hay mucha oportunidad porque hay mucho muchas universidades, muchos colegios que enseñan especialmente a los pobres, que hay pobres que que en verdad no tienen nada uh-huh. y la misma universidad se dan cuenta los maestros y bien que, que trabaja, dice bueno vamos yo a ver a ese pobre que se ve que puede hacer algo entonces cuando le dan una educación sí quizá sí, eh, el gobierno pague uh-huh. y si uno viene pagando viene pagando poquitito uh-huh. y a veces no tiene que pagar porque el gobierno entra para que esa esa niña o ese niño tenga una oportunidad de cada hacia viva y que le viene a dar eh, una oportunidad a Estados Unidos,
3: uh-huh.
2: para que Estados Unidos haga más negocio, más vida, y sigue ayudando, cuando está, y cuando se ve que ayuda, sigue ayudando la pobreza. Y muchos pobres que hoy hay, abogados, jueces, doctores, uh-huh. que no tenían nada, uh-huh. pero el gobierno se le dio una oportunidad. Este país la oportunidad,
3: uh-huh. y
2: el que coge la oportunidad lo hace. Pero el que no la coge, no lo hace, porque uno mismo tiene que empujarse. Y a veces las personas dicen, yo no voy porque no me atrevo. No. Yo he ido a sitio, ¿verdad? Que en verdad, he ido a Talpes, Que yo misma me da cuenta, yo sé que, que voy a pedir una ayuda. Y por obediencia mía siempre me ha ayudado.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Siempre me ha ayudado. Porque yo voy y digo la verdad. Entonces la persona cuando esta señora viene a una pues, a, a pedirle esto o que le ayuden con esto, vamos a ayudarle. Uh-huh. Entonces el gobierno viene y le ayuda a uno, uh-huh. ¿qué sabe? Le ayuda. Sí. No todavía, pero le ayudar en, en unos años hasta que esa persona se hacia adelante.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Y así el país, el país sigue. Entonces la pobreza va. Desmoyendo, se va eh, sintiendo mejor.
3: Uh-huh.
2: entiendes, Eso es lo que yo creo de uh-huh. Estados Unidos. Un país de progreso, un país de de, de hacia adelante. Y, de, porque yo conozco pobres que han venido por Puerto Rico y aquí tienen negocios grandes.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Especialmente conozco aquí una familia que se llama Sanchez. Uh-huh. Ese señor vino de Puerto Rico bien, 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 este, bien pobre, sí. y aquí en este país muchos hispanos sí. pobres en hecho de, de ricos. Uh-huh.